Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and today I'm here with Chandler Vanoy. Hey, hey. And Rasul Berry, which, dude, you're already you're already cooler than me. Cause oh. <laughs> oh, your you're name. Too kind. Well, hey, man, you're pretty cool, too, because you nailed the pronunciation correctly the first time, which puts you in about the 10th percentile of people I've ever met. <laughs> well, that's let's just close in prayer, because I don't want to I, I don't know if I can live up to uh, to anything more. Well, uh, so the voice that you're hearing is uh, Rasul Berry. He is coming to us from. Uh, New York City, and he's a, a teaching pastor there. And man, you're doing all kinds of crazy stuff right now. Um, because uh, in pursuit of Jesus, which people know daily bread, but uh, or at least they should back in the day, the little, you know, the, the, the little reader, the little devotional reader. Well, you're doing a, a new thing with them that is just really yeah. well done. Um it's called in pursuit of Jesus, but talk a little bit about that and, and talk a little bit more about, um, about your church. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's glad to be, I'm glad to be here with you. Um, and you're right. I had the same kind of perspective on our daily bread as you kind of described, like I remember early in my faith journey. So I, I didn't grow up in church. Um, my name is Arabic. My parents had actually uh, become members of the Nation of Islam before I was born. Um, and so my name is Arabic. It means messenger or prophet. And um, which I thought was kind of interesting itself. But um, so shortly after, just to make a long story short, um, I started my journey following Jesus, uh, basically my freshman year in college. And um, I went to the University of Pennsylvania in Philly, uh, where I'm from. And during that time, uh, just, I didn't, I had never read, uh, like the Bible at all. It was all new to me. And I remember going to, uh, study abroad. Um, I went to, uh, Cameroon in central Africa and somehow I ended up with an our daily bread booklet. And it was like the first time that I had ever been consistent with a devotional experience. And it really was incredible in terms of the, um, like God was just how he was speaking through uh, the devotionals and the word. And so I, I had a long appreciation uh, for it, but I hadn't really thought much about our daily bread, like especially in the last, you know, 20 years since I've been uh, in ministry full time. And, um, and so when I, I saw so a friend of mine who used to be on staff uh, with crew with me, uh, he reached out to me uh, last March and just said, Hey, uh, we're doing this documentary. I'm with our daily bread. Now, are you interested in traveling around the world and talking to people about Jesus? And I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> <That's how laughs> and not uh, a tough sell. yeah, that was not a tough sell at all. And, uh, so before we knew it, uh, last May, actually we started shooting. New York was the first city. Then we went to Sweden, Singapore, uh, Argentina, South Africa, and Israel. And the main idea and the theme was what, would I, it was almost like a experiment of how could someone from a certain place, um, like in a, in a certain cultural context, have their perspective on who Jesus is changed or shaped by in, interacting with people who thought 
deeply about him in all different countries and continents around the world. And it kind of almost answers this question, right? I don't know if you've ever had it, but I know I've had people tell me, well, you know, you're only a Christian because you live in America and you, you know, it's a predominantly Christian nation. And uh, at least that's what they tell us. (laughs) And, um, And so, you know, like that's, if you were somewhere else, it would have a different perspective. So it became very fascinating to go, okay, well, what, how did people who follow Jesus in other parts of the world where they are not the majority, how do they think about him and how could that shape me? And so that journey just kind of allowed me to do this Anthony Bourdain style approach where we eat a lot of food, we experience the culture, we learn the history, and then we try to see how Jesus makes sense to people in those places in light of all of those things. And it was an incredible journey. And here's the spoiler alert. Um, the what I learned was that Jesus is more glorious and 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 more worthy of worship uh, after I went through this journey than I even had an appreciation of before. Man, what a cool experience! And um, I know watching the videos that they're they're very impactful and being able to travel around so much. I'm sure that you got to see a lot of cool things. So I got two quick questions to follow up on that. What was your favorite of, of the different episodes that you've done where you've traveled? Where was the favorite place that you've traveled? And what was one or two of the biggest takeaways um, from traveling all over in that sense uh, that you t- that you took away from it? Yeah, I always tell people, you know, I ask me which was my favorite episode is like asking me which of my kids do I like the best, you know, um, and, uh, although I only have one. So that's an easy answer for me. Um, <laughs> but generally speaking. Right. Um, I, I, I mean, I gained something unique and special. Uh, from each of the places. But um, I will say in terms of, for a couple reasons, the South Africa episode really um, was uh, meaningful and transformative. First of all, I had actually just been in South Africa six months ahead of time before for a totally different reason. But um, while I was there, but this was, uh, we had a guy who was born and raised in Cape Town, South Africa, who now is a uh, pastor in Michigan and he came with us. And so I had like my own like inside guide to the culture, which is a totally different way to travel. And there was a moment in particular where um, he invited, uh, (laughs) he invited us to his like uncle and aunt's house, but he didn't tell them that we were shooting a documentary. (laughs) <laughs> right. So uh, so we get there and they're like preparing food. And they, uh, one of the audio engineers is like, hey, excuse me, ma'am, I'd like to put this microphone on you. Where would you like me to go? And she's like, why are you putting a microphone on me? And we were like, for the shoot? And they were like, what shoot? And we were like, oh, my gosh, this dude didn't tell us. So we're ready like to wring his neck. And so he, he, he didn't tell them. So, I mean, and we got like cameras and like six of it. Now, he, he told them people were coming, but he didn't tell them they were shooting anything. So he he's not even there. So he gets there like 15 minutes, 20 minutes later with this big smile on his face. And we're like, Winna, that's the name. Winna, why didn't you tell them? And he was like, oh, because they wouldn't have done it. (laughs) (laughs) And so what ended up happening is this incredibly authentic and very personal um, interaction over dinner that it felt like I was in my own family's house at the time. And it was this amazing moment, like literally, even though there's 
two cameras and microphone, like we, all of that went away. And we just had this incredibly um, personal conversation about apartheid and um, the history there that, you know, the people in the room, with the exception of the youngest daughter, everybody remembered how it impacted them and, and, and how the current reality, the hopes, the dreams uh, that they have are kind of seen through the lens of Jesus. And like, they were just like, he's our only hope right now to, cause things aren't as they haven't changed as much as we wanted, but we remember when it was so dark that we, did, we didn't even think we would get here. And it was just very like in the moment and it was very special. And then at the end of the episode, we talked to a, um, a white South African uh, who's a pastor and oh man, he just uh, shares so many incredible insights. Uh, and, and that was after walking down Table Mountain, uh, which is this incredibly beautiful scenic. Uh, it's actually the main uh, image of like the low, like the main picture that we use for In Pursuit of Jesus with my back is turned and you see it because it was just such an incredible shot. So for a lot of reasons, that trip was very meaningful. Hmm. So cool. Well, man, uh, yeah. If you want to uh, live vicariously (laughs) through Russell, uh, you can go to inpursuitofjesus.net. And, you know, I I did talk about uh, his church, but I failed to mention it's the Bridge Church, New York. Um, And and so talk to us a little bit about... um, your church, and then we really will get into our five questions. Okay. Yeah. So, um, the British church, uh, is six years old. We just celebrated six, uh, Easter Sunday. Um, it was a very unusual, um, Easter Sunday for us as it was around the world. But, um, our lead pastor, uh, James Roberson and I, we go way back. We actually, uh, met um, while we were doing campus ministry um, in two different uh, campuses with a ministry called the Impact Movement, which was a part of Crew. And uh, he was at James Madison University. I was at Penn, and we um, started to just build a friendship. And then we were both recruited to start in ministry together at Howard University in DC. Uh, we were roommates. We were our only staff team, and they just kind of unleashed us to go after 10,000 college students. And it was an incredible uh, year. Um, we just built deep bonds, became best friends. And then he moved on and kind of went into church uh, ministry world. And I stayed in kind of campus ministry for a while. Um, but back in 2015, I sensed the Lord calling me to the city and to really once again, after 15 years, uh, partner back uh, together um, with him. And uh, and especially because I love this vision, he started this church for people who didn't like going to church. And uh, the idea of bridge is to be a bridge between, you know, from God to people, you know, uh, through Christ and specifically in a doing church in a unconventional way. Well, um, now our church is uh, mostly millennials, 26, 27 years old. We're 85 percent single um, and uh, we've grown to about well prior to, uh, you know, the quarantine. We were, you know, uh, averaging about 300 people uh, Sunday in two different services at four and six o'clock. We meet at another church's building. So we have to meet in the afternoon, which I think is part of the reason why millennials love it because they can sleep in. Um, <laughs> but um, I, it's, it's a very diverse uh, church and one that um, 
it's very, we draw a lot of creatives. Um, and, uh, you know, we've had people who were performed on Broadway and Hamilton and other, uh, you know, uh, theater actors, actors, you know, models, designers, those are kind of, ten, um, but the cool thing is, is seeing a lot of people in a time when many people are like, uh, you know, uh, concerned and for good reason about, you know, this demographic, uh, we're seeing people uh, continuing to grow and pursue Jesus and desire to be in relationship with him um, in, in spite of a kind of tied to the uh, contrary. And um, and so, yeah, it's been exciting to be a part of. And and now it's been different because we've had to completely re-examine and rethink how to do church in the midst of a quarantine being in the epicenter of a pandemic. Hmm. I mean, we, we've uh, we've been blessed to have several New Yorkers on the podcast uh, recently, and we know that it's affecting you. Uh, it's affecting your church even more than you know the the rest yeah. of our churches as well. So, um, how how are you how are you guys approaching how are you guys approaching um, this from uh, a learning aspect. I mean, our first question is, is, you know, who are you currently learning from? But in light of this happening at this time, I know a lot of us are looking to learn. <laughs> but what we're looking to learn is, is all new stuff and, and, you know, make the best decisions as possible as a, as a leader. But what are some of the things that you've been uh, learning recently and, and who have you been learning those from? Sure. You know, well, one of the things that, um, I think I began to go back to because this was such an unprecedented experience in our lifetime. I mean, seeing New York City, the city that never sleeps, all, you know, just shut down is um, I remember listening to uh, a I was watching a Veritas forum uh, with uh, Andy Crouch and um, uh, David Brooks from the New York Times and um, a woman. I can't remember her name. She's a. Uh, She's, I mean, incredibly <laughs> impressive. She's like the head of ethics at Columbia uh, University Medical. Um, so I'll, 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 I'll get out her name uh, eventually. But I was listening to this podcast and um, and they were kind of leaning back to, well, it was more of a, a forum, an online forum, not a podcast, but they were leaning back to history and reflecting um, on uh, the how the church has handled uh, this in the past and what began to really be encouraging and, and inspiring was to see that, um, you know, people had uh, gone through this before. This wasn't, even though it was the first in our lifetime, it wasn't the first ever. Uh, Lydia Dugdall, that, that was the, um, the ethicist from Columbia. Uh, she actually just wrote a book about how people deal with things like suffering and dying. But going back further, in particular, one person that was really inspiring was Cyprian. That, um, there is a uh, the Bishop of Carthage back in the third century, like 250. There was a plague that is known as the plague of Cyprian. And he's a bishop. So the, this is one this is considered one of the worst plagues in human history. It um, is looked at as the turning point of the collapse in, in Rome in a lot of ways. 
Um, but this plague is known after a church leader because the church leader was so involved in both um, the capturing the story of what was happening and actually meeting and serving people's needs that the actual outbreak, the, you know, became synonymous with this Christian leader. And I thought, man, what, how amazing would that be for us as a church that the, when people could not talk about the coronavirus um, or the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020 without talking about the church's response, because we were so involved, we were so uh, informed and proactive that it prompted people to recognize that and to therefore associate um, this plague with these people working. And so I just started to look in the past and see the both the, the ways that things happened well and the ways that things didn't happen well. And of course, people have been looking at, um, you know, other plagues as well. But that one in particular, because I was like, it was actually framed around the identity of a bishop, uh, a church leader, uh, you know, a pastor, essentially, who is um, who was that involved and active. And so um, that's been somebody that has been inspiring me as well as just continuing to listen to those who are on the front lines. Um, there are several people at our church. We have a nurse who actually uh, has been um, interviewed by Oprah and, and various media outlets because, you know, she has a strong social media presence. But she was just sharing about her experiences of being living through this crisis. And so it was really um it's been helpful to just before I do a sermon, I'll call her and just be like, hey, how are you doing? How are things going? We have a young man and these are all people in their 20s uh, who um, works in his family's funeral home. And they are overwhelmed um, with the amount of you know, people that they have to service, the, the, the incredible pain of people not being able to have more than 10 people at a funeral and having to do distance, you know, things. And so and then he actually contracted COVID himself. We have a young lady who um, lost three uh, family members in the span of about two weeks. And so um, it's definitely been a, uh, a hard time of leaning into this aspect of lament, leading into this aspect of grief, and also leading into what does it look like to inspire hope? Um, we have, as a church, we did this thing called the Be the Bridge Assistance Fund, where we began to um, look at how can we, uh, you know, create a form and, and a way that we can do uh, assistance to those who are in need uh, because people have lost jobs, that you know, and things like that. And so it's been really encouraging to see um, how people have, how grateful people have been uh, to get the support, both financial and spiritual support as well. Sometimes people just want prayer. And uh, so all of those things have been people I've learned from in this process. That the story of looking back on history is, is incredibly convicting. And just even hearing, I mean, the church, <laughs> the, the name of the plague was wrapped around the church and that's yeah. just, you know, we, we should be the hands and feet of Christ, especially during this time. And, I think that's a good reminder just as we're trying to look to the future and everybody's trying to say, what's the new normal? And I know a lot of people are probably hate that, that term of they've just heard it so much and trying to figure it out. But when we look back on history, we see, man, God has worked through so much before. And this is not surprising him in the same way that those events didn't surprise him back then. So thanks for sharing just another reminder that God is sovereign and he knows exactly what's next and the church should step up in these times. Yeah. So. 
in these in these times, what is the main point of emphasis for you and your leadership team right now leading through these times, especially as you were talking about in the heart uh, of New York where this pandemic has, has hit pr- very hard? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, essentially, you know, even when we think of church, right, in the, the Greek ecclesia, you know, like which meant an assembly or we talk about called out ones and called out to gather together. Um, and then it's like assembling in the most practical way of being together in the same space at the same time is the very thing that and especially where we are is not helpful to anybody and would be and is even, you know, yeah, it just would be bad to try to do. And so um, so in that space, we had to really get back down to what is what we're about? Like, what do we absolutely need to be about as a church? And it came back to, you know, what we see in Acts 2, committing ourselves to the word, to prayer, um, to uh, fellowship, and to um, making sure that there, that no one had need. Um, and the way to do that in this era is to leverage, in one sense, it's the best time to have ever had a, a pandemic in light of being able to uh, have our worship service. I mean, we were able to adjust in 36 hours. Uh, the governor, you know, back in March had said, okay, no gatherings over 50 people. And we were like, okay, so what are we going to do? And that was on a Thursday afternoon. And by Sunday, we had, um, you know, a Facebook live worship service with, you know, um, about 150 people watching online. Um, And then from each week after that, just kind of gathering and and, and debriefing and thinking through, okay, what do we need to do different? So one of the things we did was um, realize that for our, 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 our missional communities, um, we refashioned them as online uh, groups. And so uh, people from all over um, can can be a part of them, but we still made it 10, no more than 10 people. So we had to actually multiply the amount of groups that we had because our groups prior to that were could be 15, could be 18, could be 20. So we wanted to keep it small at 10. Uh, we made them on Zoom calls. We, you know, we just continue to try to think through, okay, with the, the absolute, what we need, is to make sure that nobody is left behind. And so we began to look back at our roster to see, okay, who are the people that might be slipping through the cracks? We created a program called Project 1210 based on Romans 1210 when uh, Paul tells the the Romans, uh, Roman church to honor one another and to love one another. And so we, so we decided at 1210 every day to encourage people to call and text someone. Uh, our lead pastor came up with this. I love the statement for every hand that you can't shake, that should be a phone call or text that you make. And, um, and so with that, we, we started to just redouble these efforts of what does it look like to, to not, to make sure that people are not alone. This week, uh, two of those days with Project 1210, we actually have devotionals where either uh, the lead pastor or myself is the teaching pastor. Uh, we alternate uh, just giving people an inspiring word online, uh, question and answers. This week, he's gonna be actually highlighting a, um, a counselor, a, a, a therapist, who is going to talk about best practices for handling the emotional and psychological strain of being in the midst of a pandemic. And so those are the type of things that we've just tried to retool to make sure that we can still have point of connection and touch with people so that even in their social distancing, that they're not completely isolated and don't feel alone. 
So when you when you guys go back, uh, I would love to hear a little bit about what what you've learned during this time. What you might implement when you go back. You know, recently I heard somebody say crisis is an accelerator for innovation. And at that point, what you're saying is those things that the church is the mission of the church should rise up and say, okay, we're going to commit ourselves to these things and we're going to innovate in those areas to make sure that we're going back to the word. We're going to continue to gather, whether it be virtually or physically. So what, what's something that you guys have learned during this time of, hey, this has actually worked well for us. We could actually implement this when we go back. Yeah, I think the word of God is unbound um, and unchained, as Paul talks about. And I think what that means is for us that there's way more people who are interested and that we can't go back to um, to putting limits on our outreach. And so uh, because there's just so much more interest, especially a few, you know, a couple Sundays ago on Easter Sunday when we made a concerted effort to reach out. I reached people, uh, I reached out to people who I thought would never, I have a friend who I would consider probably one of the most secular people I know. And um, I reached out to her cause it was Easter Sunday. And, um, and she was like, yeah, let me try to figure this out. And, you know, and then her son started to kind of, you know, fidget and kind of be disruptive. So I share with her our children's material and, 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 and they went through that together. And I was just like, wow, I reached out to a guy I met who lives in the Middle East in a country where we probably couldn't even have a church service. And he not only did he watch the service, he sent me on WhatsApp a voice message thanking me so much and desiring to be in one of our online groups that he had heard about during the service. And so wow. we uh, we actually, you know, the following week, you know, kind of made sure that he could get in a group. And and so from there, it's like, OK, we know that uh, when we are able to gather again and I put it that way because I don't think that there's going to be a new normal. I mean, this is there, normal is what we knew it is gone. Like, you know, we're never yeah. going back to that. Um, but when we are able to still gather and kind of relax these uh, social distancing policies, um, we will be able to, we are, we're, we're always going to make available online our, our resources. We're going to be thinking about that in terms of people who uh, wouldn't have been able to join an online group um, because of just they might live too far. But we see the value of keeping that uh, those groups and those people um, accessible. And then I think the other thing is with the be the bridge assistance, just like making sure that people aren't left behind and, and continuing to think about how do we empower our um there's a whole group. We did like a, uh, a form where people could fill out their skill sets and their talents. So we have like people who are really good at social media and they're influencers. And it's like, OK, here, help us with our, our presence so that we can get out there. And it's not to be trendy or or to be a fad. This is where people are. Our mission as a church is to reach people where they are and to help them to grow. And right now, the best way that we can reach them where they are is online. And I think that'll continue to be the case uh, even after this. But all of it rooted in a sense of. How do we make sure that we're helping people build a sense of community, um, you know, and realizing that those community spaces won't just be bound by geographic location as they once were, is that they're going to be even in online spaces, too. Man, I love that because, you know, I, I think um, I think we go through, you know, different stages uh, when it comes to how to look at this and how to lead through it. Um, but I love the idea of, you know, seeing new things come out of this, um, because, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. 
Yep. And there's nothing more necessary than the local church to this planet. And so uh, it's his church and he's going to see to it that it goes on with or without us. Um, but I would rather it be with us. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, God has given us what we need to serve his church. And so there are resources within the church. I love the fact that you tapped into the, the people resources in your church that may not have been, um, they may not have been engaged, frankly, um, but now they're part of the body and they're, they're using their gifts and service to Christ in a way that they would not have before. And so I think this is a very unique opportunity that we have if we want to look at it that way um, to engage more of our, more of our people. So even doing that simple survey is not something that, you know, it, it would be easy for any church to do the same and help people understand, Hey, this isn't a resource on our staff, uh, but it's a resource within our church. And who knows what person may be just uh, have unrecognized talent or resources or connections or whatever. Uh, they may work for a company that, you know, could be a resource for you. They, they may have, um, they may have those skills. So man, I really, I really like that. It's a well-known fact that planting churches and campuses is the most effective way of reaching the lost. And launching in a rented venue like a school or a theater is one of the most cost-effective ways to launch a new church. So if you're planning to launch a church or a campus and trying to figure out how to do that really well in a rented space, we encourage you to check out our friends at Portable Church. The team at Portable Church Industries takes your vision and creates engaging environments around it that keep volunteer retention high and allow more energy to be spent on ministry. So go to portablechurch.com slash lifeway to learn more and to find free customized resources that teach you how to launch portable and launch strong. What are one or two things that you have to do every day other than spiritual disciplines? Um, what are one or two things that you have to do every day to stay sharp as a leader? Um, I think more than ever, uh, being aware of what's happening in our city, in our nation, around the globe is just part of what has to happen, right? Like, like I mentioned, I mean, we had to do in 36 hours <laughs> to completely reconfigure what our Sunday was going to look like. Um, and, uh, and I think that is another new normal of just seeing the immediate um, realities. And of course, even part of the story of this pandemic was that something that was happening in Wuhan, China, which many of us had never heard of that city, um, you know, was eventually going to completely shape and influence what our whole experience is, you know, thousands of miles away. And our world is so interconnected that that is, um, that is really always the case, but we just see it more now than in more in more practical ways. And so I am, you know, reading, uh, you know, more in terms of just the current events and, and trying to think through what those things mean. Um, 
So that's something I think another thing is uh, just making sure I try to reach out to someone um, every day. Um, can't say I do it every day, but I try now to just check in. And, and it's always surprising to see how when you, you know, you reach out, you might give you know, somebody a call that the Lord has put on your heart. And man, it's exactly what they needed at that moment. Um, and, uh, and I think again, going back to this aspect of what does it mean to be the church? Um, what does it mean for us to be in community? And, and ultimately, I mean, we have the letters, think about this, like we have most of the new Testament because someone was writing correspondence to someone that they could not physically be with. Right. Like if Paul wasn't in prison, we wouldn't have the prison epistles because he would have just went to Philippi or went to, you know, Galatia or Ephesus. And so, um, and so those experiences uh, kind of allow me to realize that this isn't new when, you know, physical distance um, is a reality. But that doesn't mean that we can't continue to um, reach out and communicate using the technology um, that we have available, using the, the gifts, you know, that we have uh, at our disposal. And so uh, that's something I try to do every day is to reach out Um I think fitness, I mean, health, I mean, look, this is a health crisis and there are a lot of factors of uh, comorbidities, they say, you know, like obesity, uh, like high blood pressure and hypertension. And and I wish I could say I work out every day. I don't. But um, but I'm, I'm thinking about it a lot more because I want to be um, in the best possible shape and condition to um, to be able to minister to the most amount of people as I can. And so, you know, yes, last week, I, I think I worked out uh, two times, you know what I mean? I'm trying to get it up this week, hopefully, you know, three or four, but it, it it's more like a, a, a realization that this isn't just for vanity's sake, so I can look a certain way or whatever, but just for a sense of health. And so that was, that's something else I'm trying to kind of maintain, um, you know, on a regular basis. It is, it is interesting trying to focus on health and, and all the gyms are closed. So you're trying to figure out how to be innovative with the, the home workouts, or I know a lot of people are starting to go on runs. So having to be creative in that area for sure. Well, I also know earlier you mentioned, uh, you, you have, you have one child. You said it's easy when people ask you who your favorite child is. <laughs> so what is, what does leadership in your home look like? Yeah. Oh man. Especially when we are all living <laughs> quarantine together, <laughs> uh, that has to be, uh, something that you, and I, you, you pay close attention to, um, my daughter, uh, she's 22. Um, and, uh, so she's in college right now and that means online classes, um, of course. Um, and so it's just an interesting balance. We've gone through all the different phases and stages of, you know, kind of childhood, adolescence and, you know, high school and now college. Um, I think the main thing that this experience has taught us is the importance of rhythms. Uh, one of the things, and I, you know, again, this was in that, when I heard Andy Crouch talking about this, this was really helpful. And, you know, and his whole thing with TechWise family is, is, is really to kind of build as much personal interaction as we can in, in a world that 
you know, screen time and things like that can deplete. Um, and so what we started to, after about a couple of weeks of quarantine, I realized I was working so much um, because of the extra workload that I wasn't, I was just kind of sequestered uh, in my like basement where I was, where I do most of my work. And I realized that we didn't really have an, a, a regular routine, um, you know, and normally we all have such different schedules, uh, but we started to um, eat together at least one meal. Let's just check in. Uh, we started having regular uh, check ins with each other. And it was important because everybody has different needs. You know, um, I'm an extreme extrovert. My wife and my daughter are introverts. And so um I'm feeling like, man, we, we aren't getting enough time together. And they're feeling like we're very physical, even though we're not meeting together, the fact that we're all in the house together for an introvert is causing them to be a bit drained. <laughs> and uh, so it was just important for us to maintain that communication to know what we all were needing in, in that particular time and to not make assumptions um, about that. And so I think that's just being proactive about um, asking questions and uh, and listening to each other um, and meeting each other's needs in that sense. Um, and sometimes having to make the hard call of just saying, okay, we need to, let's not be watching the same thing together. Let's do something else. Let's play a board game. Let's create something. And, um, and I think, you know, those, that combination, that tension of, uh, intentional time and also intentional distance has been an important uh, balancing act at home. I know one of the jokes a lot of people are making is if, if they have an iPhone, <laughs> they're like scared to see what their screen time app tells oh, them God. Uh, because, <laughs> because of how much time they're spending. So I do think uh, TechWise Family would be a great read for a lot of us right now. <laughs> It's almost a scary read because I'm just not there. Like, you know, it's like, I'm like, man, Andy, I don't know how you do this, but. Uh, it was hard. it was drastic, a little bit drastic before quarantine, but even more so now yeah. <laughs> during quarantine. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, it's always good to have that challenge and it's like, Lord help us. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, the other thing, I mean, you know, there were some books that were really popular over the last uh, year or two. That was one that kept coming up on the podcast. Another one was essentialism. Hmm. Um, yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, whether it's church or home or wherever, um, you know, dusting back off some of those, some of those books and reading them in light of the current situation, I think would be really interesting. That would that would actually would be really interesting. Looking back over the last two or three years, and and the the books that you know moved you the most, or meant the most to you, or were most helpful, I uh, I think that would be a really good a really good look. What do you guys think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that it's it's reflection in general is is such an important and under utilize discipline right now because we live in an information age, but information is not the same as wisdom. And I think that we have a, a deficit of wisdom because everything has to be, you know, there's almost such a race to be the most current when we have the most breaking news that reflection on the past. And that's where going back into history and realizing, wait a minute, 
this isn't the first time that we've gone through an epidemic. In fact, we went through one in 1918. What did we learn from that? In fact, we went through one before that. And um, and so I think those types of reflection and even on our on the past things that we've learned and how do those things make sense to us uh, in light of our new realities are, are so important. I journal a lot and I kind of oftentimes go back into my journal to see what I was thinking or where my mind was at or where my heart was. And it's helpful to give me perspective into the present. Yeah, I like the way you brought that up about journaling, because there are times and I'm thinking about books that I've read that have been incredibly impactful in the moment. And, you know, I was I was reading through one just a few weeks ago and, you know, I write in the books uh, on the margins. And it's funny how a comment I might have made a few years ago, I would not read that in the same way. Yeah. So it would it would be a great kind of exercise to go back and say, hey, I'm gonna pick two books that were incredibly impactful and I'm going to read them and just see a different perspective. And I would even journal on it like you're talking about, Russell. And that way you can remember these times during quarantine and say, man, as I was reflecting on that, as I was going through that unique season, this is what spoke to me the most during that. Love that journaling aspect. Well, I I do think that actually sets up our our last question well, too, which is what would you tell your 20 year old self? Because in many ways, you know, we have a unique opportunity um, to speak to in journaling, in writing down. Um, I, I can remember I've got a, um, a devotional book called Streams in the Desert that I wrote in quite a bit when I was uh, in my 20s and I found it recently. And then you know, just going back and looking at what my 20, 20 something year old self was thinking and struggling with and wrestling through and thinking was a really big deal. Um, and now was just, was just really enlightening. So Russell, what would you tell your 20 year old self about leadership and and preparing to lead? Yeah. It's funny because I remember when I was in college (laughs) and the first time I ever did the Myers Briggs, um, assessment, um, it turned out completely different than what it was afterwards. Uh, like every time time I took it, right. Like back then I remember I was like an ENTJ and every, ever since I've been at ENFP. And when I reflected on the way I thought back then is I thought that the best thing to be was an ENTP in terms of like, what I ENTJ, like detail oriented, more of a thoughtful person. I projected uh, who I should be based on what I thought other people expected and wanted. As I got older, I became increasingly more aware and comfortable with who I actually was. I am a feeler more than I am a thinker. I am open-ended more than I am, you know, a judge or decided decisive and those type of things. And, you know, because of a lot of cultural assumptions and baggage, oftentimes we can try to contort ourselves, and we have all these shoulds in our mind. I should be like this. I should be like that. And, um, and that can disorient us from what we are and what God has actually given us. And this message that God has given uh, me is that you are enough. Like you are exactly who I want you to be and who I've called you to be. And of course, there's a process in which 
Um, so I see sanctification is more of like God, uh, uh, us allowing God to help us to fully actualize and realize who he has made us to be like, not just simply um, trying to become somebody else or more like somebody else. Um, I'm never going to be a super organized person or a planner in all of those ways. And, and, but I can grow, but instead of focusing on that, let me also realize and appreciate and celebrate who I actually am, who God has made me to be. And that's still a process that through reflection, honestly, through therapy and counseling, through um, continual uh, walking through this path of helping me to see who I am in Christ, uh, that those are that's something that I'm completely like, I actually just did a sermon yesterday on this because I was reflecting on John 5 when uh, the Pharisees questioned who Jesus is and they're questioning his validity to heal on the Sabbath and to say that he was greater than the Sabbath. And he appeals to the witness of his father. And of course, we see when Jesus was baptized in Matthew 3, that the father is recorded that he said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And that that is the ultimate foundation of what I in my best, what I should be basing my identity on. The fact that the father calls me his child and in him, uh, in me, he's well pleased um, already that he see, when he sees me, he sees Christ's righteousness because of what Christ has done on our behalf. And so let me rest in that even as I you know, strive to be more like him. Well, Russell, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast and, and just joining in on a conversation about everything happening in your church right now, what, how you guys are dealing with, with this pandemic, and then also just walking through the five leadership questions. And for you listening, we hope this was helpful. And if you did find it helpful, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review to help other leaders like yourself find the podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for having me. Thank you.